Hi all, welcome to Chat and Flicks, the movie and TV podcast. I'm your host Carl Pierce. Today with us we have Lee Stackpool. Hello. I'm Richard Dalem. Hello. And Alan Bulger will be joining us shortly, just having a few uh, technical issues. Really what he's doing is having this tea, but we'll call it technical. I was going to say, tea issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sustenance issues. Um, so today's the third episode we're doing based on our festival directors. And today is Richard leading on this one. So Richard, take it away. Yeah, it's, it's kind of me leading because I just changed my director today. Uh, I was going to do Wes Anderson, but um, I'm changing it to because he's not that well known. He's up and coming, but he's not that when, well known. So I'm going to go with somebody who's directed loads of my favourite films, um, which is uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, which, I mean, I know we've all talked about like The Shining in the past and, and I know I've talked about 2001 in the soundtracks um, episode, but we've never really talked about him in great detail. So um, I think he was born in 1928, bit of a, um, not great at school, but clearly intelligent. I think we've all sort of encountered that type of child, haven't we, gents? Oh, I think so. Um, <laughs> uh, at the age of 13 he was given a camera which sort of like that that was that that was his making if you like and he just got engrossed in that and started taking photos everywhere and a couple of his uh pictures were published and then he got in with a new york look magazine and eventually just moved on to filmmaking uh, in about 1950 he made started making some films and, uh, and that's really, really in a nutshell, what happened. Um, pretty much well known for his take after take after take. Um, I think, he, he, you know, I think he's in one of the Guinness Book of Records for the most takes ever, ever shot. And I think that that was in The Shining. I'd have to double check that. But um, I think he's very well known for being quite anal about how he wants things and absolutely fastidious in his approach. Mm. Um, in a couple of films, he's just told people to, you know, you go stand over there and I'll sort this out for you. He didn't like delegating because he wanted everything done his way, which is maybe why I like him so much. Um, first film I saw a long, long time ago would have been 2001. So I'm assuming we've seen that, gents, Carl. I know you yeah, have. Yeah, I've seen that one. Bit-ish. You see, for me, this is this is Stanley Kubrick to a T. It's it's so technical and anal and geeky. Um, loads of things in it. I absolutely love um, the music when the docking. We've got loads of classical music playing. Of course, the first the first scene with the apes and the monolith is an absolute classic. Um, very very strange film. Probably the first big space opera film i mean we class star wars as a space mm. opera but you you i've seen it all the way through and it is an, a very very odd film but i'm fascinated by it i think it's about three hours long is it two two and a half hours yeah, long yeah um, yeah made in 1968 and it doesn't show it apart from the the haircuts um it doesn't show it at all lee have you I seen, have it? seen it um and it's definitely one of my old... Have you seen it all the way through? I've seen it all the way through, and I've seen 2010 as well. And that was... Good, uh, Rob, good. Was that Rob Schneider? Um, in the second one? Uh, guy from Jaws? All right, have they made the sequel to it uh, I know there's a sequel in the books, but I didn't realise there was a sequel for the movie. 
2010, yeah. Oh, wow. But he didn't no, direct no, um, I just I remember um, being old enough to appreciate 2010 more because I was older when I watched it. Um, I think I've watched ah. 2001 uh, when I was a lot younger. Um, but uh, I'll quite happily wait in after, you, after you've finished your bit, Richard. Oh, my bit. Do oh, I have a bit? Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, how many films in one is this? There's the, the, the opening with the apes, as I've said. And then, and then you get some sort of strange um, break in the middle where you're just looking at this weird psychedelic load of colours on your screen, like you're going through some sort of black mm. hole and very unusual. Um, then we've got the bits with the space station and you get introduced to the characters a couple of familiar characters. I think Leonard Rossiter's in there um, as one of the doctors. A um, couple of unknowns as well, but you'll probably recognise their faces. Mm. Um, and there's, there's so many key things in the film, which I think have just continued uh, and other films have taken or other directors have, have stolen or taken them. I mean, I don't think. I think I suppose that's the the ultimate form of flattery, isn't it? Imitation's the ultimate form Absolutely. of flattery. Uh, I, I just the, there's too many things on it. I, I could press play on the disc now and just constantly tell you things about it that I love. Could could I explain the story? <laughs> I don't actually know. It's it, it's so odd. Uh, what actually happens? I, I don't really know. What's the monolith? I don't really know. Bit I'm still fascinated by it. I know my brother's delved into it in great detail. Mm. Uh, he's he's read the Arthur C. Clarke book because it's based on that. I think they did it together. But um, even right now, I'm looking at a couple of pictures and and I want to watch it. I want to watch it immediately. Which I'm going to say a lot of the time with this podcast. I think. Um, Got 8.3 on IMDb, um, and I think it, it, it's just one of those absolutely standout, fantastic films, which is going to stay stay with us for a long time. I mean, 1968, uh, you know, 50-odd years ago, yeah. uh, and it's, it's still going I strong. It formed, I think it, it formed the basis for every sci-fi that followed. Um, you go... Yeah, you the series. Yeah. You go right up to like, you know, it was 1968, you know, Alien was, you know, 11 years after that, um, 1979. Mm. And it, yeah, Star Wars was 77. It did, but I always leave yeah. Star Wars out of sci-fi, um, and I think I've mentioned that on a previous podcast. Yeah, that's uh, true. I, I consider... It's a psychological thriller, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, if you, if you want, um, you know, sci-fi in the, in the sense of obviously 2001, um, and then you know, obviously, 2010. Obviously, you can leave that out if because we're not talking about um, Kubrick. Uh, we're, you know, we're talking about the, the Kubrick film. Um, you know, the the whole thing about sci-fi and space being this, you know, sort of cold, bleak, sort of lonely place. Uh, you know, that was borrowed ev on every sci-fi right up until like we've, you know, the. In the last couple of years, obviously, sci-fi's have sort of, you know, they've moved away from that, really, with the likes of CGI and things like that. If you go back to, like, you know, 2001, Alien, mm. um, and even if you if you, if you want to actually go into the, the certain scenes from the um, the original Star Trek films, 
you'd have these massive um, sort of shots of the of these sort of like ships out in like the you know the cold expanse of space. You'd have this you'd have this mm-hmm. dramatic music kicking in, and it was all about like the isolation of you know human beings out uh, traversing through the stars and things like that. Um, and I think that was it, yeah. that all come from two thousand and one. Really, uh, it was only it's obviously only later mm-hmm. sorts of sci fi's where we've got, you know, this this saturation of CGI and sound effects and and all sorts of other silliness that kind of moved away from that. But if you watch films like, um, you know, the indie film Moon... Uh, oh, fantastic that, that really, film. That really, you know, goes back into yeah. the, the sort of the isolation of human beings just interacting with, obviously, um, artificial artificial intelligence. You know, that's all that's all come from, you know, HAL uh, in 2001. Yeah. Your crazy computer as well, which is, I mean, how many, how many films have that been replicated? <laughs> in? It's, been, um, it's just been replicated um, successfully, and it's um, it's really good. And I suppose, in like, if you if you also consider like when these films come out as well, nineteen sixty eight, Alien, 19, 1979, early eighties, you know, technology was slowly starting to come in as well, you know. Um, people have only ever also seen a computer in in films. Um, they didn't really exist in in places. Obviously nowadays, you know, everyone's you know I'm, I've got a phone in front of my face that's more powerful than the um, the original moon. Shuttles <laughs> and things. It's got more technology in. Um, you know, nowadays we take it for granted. Back then, it was these these were sort of exotic sort of premises, exotic sort of technology as well. Um, and there was a certain sort of like wonder about like being able to watch them and the the hopes of about about what you know human beings could achieve with this sort of technology. Um, and we've sort of lost that now um, because everyone's you know saturated with technology and things like that. And I think that's having a bit of an effect on sci-fi as a, as a sort of premise, really. Mm, yeah, it does. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as I say, I've only ever seen the first bit and just couldn't like. Get into it. I couldn't get past the, the, the first, like you know, the monkeys bit, if you like. But I, but I know of the story, like through the Simpsons and things. Like I remember the, the parodies they done in the Simpsons where Homer's in space and he's flo- he's floating floating through space trying to eat Pringles, and uh, and then at the end, I think yeah. he, isn't he isn't he one of the monkeys or something like that in the monolith? He is. Yeah, so he's falling asleep on it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's what I remember about it. That's what I remember. Um, we've just been joined by Alan. Hello, Alan. Hello. You know, like we're, just, we're just talking about 2001. No, you just missed the beginning there. What do you think of the film? What do we think of 2001? Yeah. I uh, love it. Um, I yeah. watched it recently. Uh, it was on one of the streaming sites. And um, once you get past it, you know, it is quite slow at the start. But once you get past it that and get onto the story, the story's just like the AI's taking over. So you're like, you've got like... I, I feel me, me, me Google yeah. Home like taking over my house and like setting my house on fire because that's like the plot of the <laughs> 2001, you know. Um, you kind of revisiting um, the, the most recent Blade Runner, I feel. You know, it's that kind of like AI, um, which which she's a bit nicer in, in Blade, the latest Blade Runner, but that AI's, um, you know, I think the, the Googles and, and the, um, the, what's it, Amazon Echo, um, yeah, Alexa. Yeah, they're, they're you know they're they're plotting behind us. They've they've got like another agenda. Just watch them, watch out for them. Mm. I think it's more the companies behind them yeah. rather than the actual AI themselves. But it probably will eventually be the AI. 
He takes over. Well, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be having a conversation <laughs> and then I'll be like, on my Facebook, I'll be like, how are we getting these adverts, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Personally, yeah. I can't wait for them to um, have a virtual Anna Diarmas from Blade Runner 2049 um, as a hologram <laughs> in my own house. Personally, I'm, I'm really <laughs> I think we'll all have one. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be um, that would be on order. <laughs> what's, what's the AI called yeah. in 2001? It's the AI called that. What's what? Sorry, it's how. How? It's, yeah, it's how. If you rename my Google yeah. Home, I'd call it how. Surely you can do that. <laughs> Mine's called the kitchen kitchen speaker, so I'm sure you can call it Hal if you wanted to. How you alert it? You won't say oh, yeah. okay, oh, Hal. Good, <laughs> I'm sure you could. I think you can with some of them, but I don't know about that. I've got a Google right next to me. I don't know what it'll do. Yeah. It's listening okay, to Google. me now. It's just flashing. Did it turn on? Oh, no, I can't hear. Just be wary of them. Okay, Google. Hello. <laughs> Like it, good, good. Go away, Google. <laughs> um, well, say again. Any more to say on two thousand and one before we move on to no, another I'm one? Gonna, I mean, I, I should give it another go, but I've tried a few yeah. times. Do do what I need to do with Joker. Give it yeah. another go. Yeah, you're right. Slow, it's, but it's beautiful, and um, once you get to the proper story, I, I, it's great. It's it's a good film. Um, I get why it is quite it's mm. really slow because. I guess when it came out, you're just in awe of like the special effects. You know, the special effects man, they still stand up. Yeah. They're still like really amazing. Mm. Mm. Uh, to be fair, an honourable mention would also be the um, the film Sunshine as well. That managed to um, oh, yeah. tap into a little bit of the 2001 yeah. sort of isolation of people in space. And yeah, um, is that Daniel Daniel there? Boyle, Danny Boyle, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's worth a watch for anyone who really likes 2001. Yeah, uh, that is fantastic. It basically turns into uh, Hellraiser in space. Um, not, yeah. as, not as, as over the top as um, Event Horizon, which is another classic, but um, completely different from what we're talking about. But it does manage to capture that sort of isolation and um, yeah, human nature in space. How, how yeah. people would deal with um, the isolation and things like that. And how vulnerable humans are in that environment, yeah. Because yeah, like, it's, absolutely. If they if they look at the sun for too long or whatever, or if they even just like put their hand out in front of the sun, they just get burnt to a crisp. Don't think that's a great yeah, film. That's that. right. Yeah, they've all got sunglasses on and things like that when they look at. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. So what's next, Richard? Okay. I think I think after that, um, the next film of his I saw. I mean, I haven't seen all his films. Um, I, I, I'm very embarrassed to say, and I know I need to get sourced on that, but probably the next one I saw was um, one that we've talked about so many times before, I even had a whole podcast on it, which was The Shining, yeah. of course. Um, and, and just going back to mentioning, you know, you're talking about tens of takes just for one little scene over and over and over. I think this is the one where, um, I think it's where, where they're going up the stairs where... Um, Jack's going up the stairs. Wendy's walking up the stairs backwards, swinging the baseball bat. I think that that is reputably the the, the most takes for any film or or something mm. like that. Um, but as I say, I think we've talked about um, The Shining to death, probably. 
Um, another one of his brilliant films, 8.4 on IMDb. Uh, I think, in fact, remembering it rightly, um, on the British Film Institute, I think Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's got something like three or four films in the top 100, which I think is the highest of any of the directors, I think, without getting all geeky and sticking this onto a piece of paper, but I think he's the most, um, the director with the most hits in the top 100 films. That's on the BFI, though, not um, IMDb. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, another amazing film, 8.4. We've come from 2001, which got 8.3, which, I mean, I'm assuming we'll be talking about it in a couple of months' time because we're doing our, what is it, Films to See Before You Die? <laughs> And I think we'll be talking about a couple of his films as well, to be honest, looking at my list. Yeah, I'm not, yeah um, um, I don't think he's got any in the top 10. I could be wrong. Maybe 2001's in the top 10. I'm not too sure. 2001 is, what was that? That was 8.3. No, because uh, Dr. Strangelove's 8.4, which really mm. surprised me. Um, but I, I, I watched that just earlier, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about yeah. that in a minute. Um do you think we have much more to say on The Shining aside I think from it's yeah everything we've said in the past, isn't it? How fantastic it is! How fantastic it looks! How um, it's mm. it's it's very unsettling. You know, we've had yes, the debate yeah. whether it's a horror or th- right. psychological thriller. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's still a great film. And we're going back to the old. He's trying to use as many things as possible in his, uh, you know, in his arsenal of. Of goods, he's got his his latest. This is a steady cam. I think he helped to develop it, and I think the, the the actual the 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 guy who built it was the steady cam director, uh, the steady cam operator. I think. Yeah, that's, um, as that they is, go. That is um, something else I know about the Sharon as well. Yeah, particularly that um, the use of it during the the main scene towards the end, it's considered mm. one of the first, well, at least big budget Hollywood uses of steady cam. Um, to track yeah, to track yeah. an actor, um, so it must have took a while. We're just sort of following it around, aren't we? We're following the action around. Yeah, it is impressive. Yeah, and you see it everywhere now, don't you? You see, it like you the football. Did you run on the pitch? They're using it. Oh yes, but yeah, of course, because they're running up and down, aren't they? Yeah. The footballers, the footballers use it, are carrying cameras. Yeah, <laughs> have you seen football, Richard? The, all the footballers have cameras. They've all got steady cams. Uh, they use GoPros. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that rings a bell. Actually, it's it's the camera on the sidelines. Yeah, they're using the the, the steady. You always see the yeah. fellas running on, yeah. but like when you watch on the telly, the camera is just literally steady. It just doesn't move. But the fellas mm-hmm. are legging it. It's like a. Yeah, good, good. Right, uh, probably next film I saw, let's have a think. I reckon it would have been a, a Clockwork Orange, which I don't think we've ever talked about. Now, we, we go on about Tarantino. I know some people go on about Tarantino, oh. at least anyway, and about, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> about Reservoir Dogs being this ultra-violent, you know, groundbreaking film. But back in 1971, we had a Clockwork Orange, which was probably the first ultra-violent for no reason whatsoever. You know, just sadistic goings on. What, what on earth's going on in it? Um, very, very strange feeling. I mean, is it in the future? Is it in the past? It's in this sort of a limbo, if you like. Um, but uh, have we all seen the Clockwork yes. Orange? Yeah, Absolutely good, good. Um, 
absolutely another one that's a bit yeah. crazy but in so many different parts again um and i don't know if you guys i, I mean we talked about on the last podcast you've talked about like things that you can notice in different directors i can't i, I know some people say that Kubrick scott is a, his own style but i can't see it personally because each film's so different i mean we've gone from a space you know sci-fi to um, a psychological thriller, and now we're into just some sort of triple X crime drama um, with a tiny bit of sci-fi mm. thrown in. Um, and I can't see anything that links the films that makes it a Kubrick film. I don't know. I don't, and I know I'm not an expert, but I don't know what well, you guys well, think. Go on, Luke. Well, I think um, I'm going to mention a couple of other Kubrick films. I won't mention them just yet, but I think with the likes of Clockwork Orange, it was a social commentary. Um, I think the novel uh, by mm. Anthony Burgess. I think he done High Rise as well. Um, I think he wrote that. Um, oh, so right. it's, a po- it's supposed to be set in a sort of post-socialist dystopia in the future. Yeah. Um, but I think I, th- I think one of the reasons about the obviously the controversy of Clockwork Orange is that it, it basically it looked like 1970s Britain. Um, mm. High Rise is a different uh, writer, by the way. Was it a different writer? Uh, I thought it was the same. Uh, well, Bullard, is it? Or J.B. Bullard or something like that? Oh, right, okay. I always thought it, it, I always thought I'm, it was... Uh, I'm just having a little look now. But, uh, yeah, but, you see, when I watched High Rise in the pictures, it just reminded me of Clockwork Orange. I, I totally understand. Like, oh, J.G. Bullard it was, yeah. But I, oh, I, right. okay. I, I got the, exactly the same feelings when I watched High Rise that I did Clockwork Orange. It is yeah. nastily ultra-violent. With with so with a social mm-hmm. um, sort of statement, um, very very similar to Clockwork Orange, and it looks like that sort of seventies future. That's, it does look like, yeah. That yeah yeah look. yeah. The, the sort of con- who are the stars of that again? Who's in that? Martin Martell. Is that the actor? Roger Martell, actor. Malcolm Martell. Not, inclu- not- Oh. Now in High Rise, who's Sorry, the main actor? Um, oh, what it was? It's it's Loki, isn't it? What's his name? Right. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, possible 007 for the future. That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a few good actors in that as well. Uh, the, the, the girl who's in The Handmaid's Tale as well. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she's in it as well. Don't know. I've not seen that. I need to watch it. That is that another sort of like strange future? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, it's dystopian. It's a dystopian future. I think I've lent it to you in the past. You know, yeah, Richard. Yeah, I think yeah. it's one of the first films we lent between us ourselves. Yeah, oh, I've sorry. seen High Rise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the what you call it, the Handmaid's oh, right, Tale. No, I've not seen, seen that. that. It's supposed to be really, uh, really, really good. Is it Elizabeth Moss? Sorry. Yeah. The, the that's the one. That's the. That's the girl. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, good show. Um, another excellent use of music in Clockwork Orange, where you know, singing in the rain, of course, as he's um, yeah. as he's doing what he does. Um, how can you how can you put that together? Um, it takes a bit of a, a strange special mind. Um, and another film that it, it started out four hours long <laughs> before he got the editors in. Wow. Yeah. So the first thing. Four hours long. Everything, though, got binned, properly destroyed, apparently. Um, so we're down to about another 
another two hours, 15, 16 yeah, minute film, it, yeah. something like that. And yeah, back in 1972, it was it was absolutely crazy for its time. I know there were a couple of, of like banned films, um, but uh, again, it's it's one of those that people will go back to, especially when you go to university. All of a sudden, everything's about Clockwork Orange. You got to you got to watch it. Don't know why, and you got to have the poster on your wall. Yeah. Don't know why. Um, I mean, people, people forget as well the 1970s. You know the you know the Cold War still on. Everyone's still sort of like a little bit paranoid over anything, a little bit political and subversive. Mm. Um, so there was there was very heavy censorship. I mean, it was a violent film, and there was a lot of you know really explicit scenes. But I think it was the social sort of um, commentary um, that sort of probably was was more to do with getting it banned. To be frankly honest, mm. I I, think... well, I remember when it, it got re-released. What about- in the, the pictures, I can't remember, about 1997, maybe, I want to say, something like that. Um, and me and my mate went to try mm. and go and see it in, in the Odeon in London Road. Couldn't get in. So we ended up going watching Three Kings instead with um, George Clooney. Mark Wahlberg, I think, was in it as well. But, uh, slightly different film. So I always yeah. remember that. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. because of copycats. Like, um, mm. all the gangs were, like, copying, like, the, the glamour of uh, them beating people up and stuff and that and that's why yeah Kubrick himself withdrew it I thought. Yeah you're right there Al's it's I'm just on IMDB now and it says two copy- copycat crimes that prompted Stanley Kubrick to have the film withdrawn in the United Kingdom with the rape of a Dutch girl in Lancashire in seventy three by the hands of men singing singing in the rain and the violence and the violence of a sixteen year old boy who had beaten a younger child whilst wearing Alex's uniform in white overalls, bowler hat and combat boots. So yeah literally two copycat killings. It's the same accusations that get thrown at um, Tarantino, aren't they? With like, there's um, there's a few killings and stuff that have been that have been contributed to him over the years. Uh, people like cutting mm. off ears and stuff like that with like mm. Red dog styles. Yeah, well, that's actually happened in um, yeah. that actually happened in Liverpool. That one, that particular one, interestingly enough. Wow. Mm-hmm. But get, getting away from all that violence and, and going back to what we were talking about with uh, 2001, um, take the violence out. And again, it's a really gr- a great story and a great film that, you know, trying to rehabilitate this guy. And and I don't know if anybody can watch that scene where his eyes are kept open without <laughs> grimacing. <laughs> it's not nice. It's a very... But... Um, then, then he's apparently spoilies. He's cured. He comes out cured, and and uh, and things just go pear shaped, and they go downhill from there. Um, again, I don't want to do any spoilies because if you've not seen it, you know I I, I envy you. I really do because it's 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 such a weird, strange, unusual, you know fantastic, and rewarding film. Sorry, but, to um, you know what you're saying. You know what about, I mean, um, You can't see like a pattern in his films. Um, you know, um, what I, I can't unsee now yeah. is like how most of his shots, like they're moving towards being framed in a one point perspective. Like it's most obvious in the shine of the two little girls, but there's in, in Clockwork Orange, there's mm. everything. They're either moving towards like settling in a one point perspective, which like almost like the center of like the, the, the shot is like going like it's mm. just one point. Um, right. It just starts like, like creates that unnerving thing, and once I I, I can't unsee it now. So uh, everything that's in films, <laughs> it like reminds me of like, <laughs> Kubrick, so the, the, uh, like the homage almost to Kubrick style. 
Right. Well, I was I'll thinking look that. Out for I'll that. Put, then I, I wouldn't you... put it as uh, eloquently as that. So I'm glad you said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just go, go to the middle. <laughs> yeah, but with with my other director, who I was going to choose, which is like say Wes Anderson, I I think the first one I saw was Fantastic Mr. Fox, Fox which is you know what was it? Stop motion yeah. animation, is it called? Um. And there was an advert for his next film on. I didn't know it was him. And it was Moonrise, Ki- Moonrise Kingdom. And I just said to Claire, that looks like a Wes Anderson film. And that was just on the advert. And I hadn't taken anything on board and I just thought it looked like it. Then there was an HMN, N, oh God, yeah. H and M, you know, the clothing yes. people. Uh, he did an advert for them. And I said to Claire, that's Wes Anderson, that. And I can just yeah. spot it immediately. Uh, it's probably like with your, um, what yeah. do you call it, Carl? Edgar Wright. Uh, Alex. Yeah. Edgar Wright, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very similar to that. Videos, um, like Edgar Wright's so, yeah. videos that he's done. Like, I know he's done one for Al, hasn't he? Yeah, I haven't looked at it yet. I mean, I did see it. I seen it on the, the list the other day, but I haven't watched them, no. Have you seen I've them seen yourself? I've one, yeah. It's like got flags, but I wouldn't have like, thought that was uh, Edgar Wright. Unless there's a, like a different video for it or something. Mm, let's have a look. Yeah. All right. Next one up. Um, I mean, I'm just talking about the ones that I've watched. One that I'm I'm ashamed. To, as I said before, I've not watched every single one of his films. I'm just talking about the key ones. But one of his big ones that I've not watched. Um, well, unless I was like really young and and it was on the telly and didn't realise it. Um, it's been Spartacus. Now, maybe you guys can talk more about that, certainly, than I can. All I can say is that I'm Spartacus. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I think I'm Spartacus as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Really? Else anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> so I know you, Carl, Carl and I've Lee, seen have seen it. it. Um, Al, have you seen Kubrick, it? You know, and I've seen it that long ago. Um, I wouldn't put it down as being a Kubrick film, to be honest. It technically didn't start off as a uh, Kubrick film. He was brought in at the uh, request of Kirk Douglas um, yeah. after he, he started yeah. filming. Um, but I'll get onto that later. I mean, I mean, this is another mega film, seven point nine on IMDb, three out, three and a quarter hours long, back in nineteen sixty. Um, I mean, I know things like Gone with the Wind and South Pacific. I think are, are very long, but. Yeah, again, we seem to be getting used to these very long films. Um, I need to give this a go, don't I, gents? I need to go and watch it. I mean, we've got massive in it. We've got Pete Houston, Lawrence Olivier, Charles Lawton, um, Tony Curtis, oh, and Kirk Douglas in it. Fantastic. I, mean, never... I haven't seen it since you know since I was young, you know, probably about 20, 20 years ago now. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just it is. It's what do they call it? Sandals epics? Is that what they call them? It's, a That's, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. probably the, the best of them, I would imagine. I don't know, like you know, things like the rope or whatever it's called, the robe, things like that. This is is up there as just being an absolute classic. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's another one that, although I've not seen it, you, you, you know, I mean, we we're joking before about I'm Sparta because I, you know, how, how many times has that been used in things? I know we've used it countless times. Yeah, and I've not even seen it. And parodied very well in the life of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you not oh, seen Life of Brian? Oh, don't tell me that, Richard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I've not well, seen Life of Brian when he's, totally he's getting crucified. They're all going, I'm Brian, I'm Brian. 
I'm Brian. I'm Brian and so oh, is my yeah. wife. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's where it comes yeah. from, basically. There was, a good, there was a good couple of nods to it in the right. series. Um, Spartacus Blood and Sand, uh, Gods of the Arena, and obviously um, Spartacus Vengeance, the final series. Oh, yeah, a few little nods to it. Yeah, there was, um, there was, there was an Iron Spartacus bit, but I won't spoil um, anything for anyone who hasn't mm. seen it. I've not I, seen I, it. I'll tell you what, Richard, if you love Gladiator, don't you? In my, it, that, that's exactly what it, it's a classic yeah. gladiator film it's it's i mean you could you could call them diff, mm. swap the names and they'd be the same film and i, I don't mean that i don't mean that uh, in right, like an offensive right. way or like that you know it's it's you know i mean it that they are both amazing films this is obviously like in the 60s it's an absolute epic it's 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 mm. everything done big it really so I need to borrow it and discuss it. Really it. Got an, um, I remember the first podcast we done um, films they couldn't make now. Um, I, this was my honourable mention mm. as well for the. Um, it's still the top ten for the most use of extras um, in any film in history. Um, I believe it's <laughs> ten thousand five hundred. <laughs> and they're all listed on IMDb. <laughs> That's a lot. All- <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> Shame I know it is. Shame oh, I wasn't around then. Could have featured. Oh, you'd be in there. You'd be riding there, mate, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Let's watch it's that. one of them, so, those um, films that my dad always watches. Like, yeah. Always, he's, just, he's just so eternally on with dad's watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an Easter day. Easter holidays <laughs> film, isn't it? Easter month, like that. Right, need need to watch it. Um, but but moving on, um, another another biggie, um, Full Metal Jacket, which again it's a, it's a film split definitely split in two two parts. Um, you've got the first part with the training again. It's been parodied or copied, totally copied in so many things. Um, came out about the same time as Platoon. I've not seen Platoon, but I have seen Full Metal Jacket. Um, really gives you an idea of, of what's going on, getting you into the nitty gritty of war. And, and the, the, going back to the first bit with the train in the boot camp, if you like, um, the, the first time I saw it, it's just like, uh, it, it, is this going to happen? It, he's not. He's not. He, and we all, um, again, I'm not going to be doing any spoilies today, but we all know what I'm talking about. And it's like, oh my God, he has done it. And what, what, what a classic film. So, not as long as I thought it was, though. It's under two hours. Um, but again, 8.3 on IMDb, mm-hmm. 1987 it was released. And uh, and it's one of those films that sticks in your head. And as you guys know, I don't like really don't like war films. Um, I wasn't fussed on your favourite, Lee, uh, your, your Apocalypse Now. But this has just stuck with me so much more than Apocalypse Now yeah. did. Um, you've got the, you've got so, the sort of, like, practical... Uh, side of the, the mundanity of military basic training in it um, and it was, mm. it was done absolutely fantastic um, obviously they had uh, Ronald Lee Emery um, as the drill instructor he was a real drill, he, he was a real <laughs> drill instructor in the, um, in the United States Marine Corps uh, gunner he, sergeants he's great um, colour sergeants in, in the British infantry um, and he just he just plays his part he just basically acts like he he, he, he done his job for so many years 
and he plays that part in just about every film he's in, doesn't yeah, he? He? Told you what he? He knows, but he was, he was he, uh, really interesting fella. With an, um, he, he was I think he was the technical instructor for so many different war films. It was unreal. Mm. And again, we're going back to the the, the ridiculous anal nature that that um, Kubrick does in his films. Of the, the detail in that first, I don't know how long that first stint is. Feels like a good 40, 50 minutes. Um, everything's got to be perfect, but maybe that's the drilling, the, you know, Ali Emery's. Um, maybe that's him acting out what Kubrick wanted, you know, where he wants absolutely everything absolutely perfect. Um, and and the way the way he goes at Sergeant, uh, sorry, not Sergeant, a Private Pile. It's Private yep. Pile, isn't yeah. it? Um, he has a go at him, just tears into him, and then tears on, turns on the troops. So he's he stood there sucking his thumb, and everybody else is doing his uh, his press uh, ups, and uh, and he's just stood there. <laughs> I tell you what, no, I'm just, I'm just um, going to quote up here, that, and it, I think it's it's me it's the my favourite quote of any film I've ever heard ever. Uh, it is a bit of rude language in it, though, Richard. So you might want to cover your ears. But it says, "He says, I bet you're the kind oh, of guy no. that would fuck a person in the ass." And not even at the goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. I'll be watching you. <laughs> there's, there's so many good lines in that film. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, I, I remember not, not in not in our school. I remember a maths teacher who used to not be like that um, with the language, but he came up with things, and it was just like a machine gun, the way he came up with things when he was speaking mm-hmm. to a child who he wasn't happy with. Like I say, not in our school, and that's genuine. Um, he was in another school I was in, and I just thought, <laughs> wow, I'd love to do that. You know, it's just unrelentless. Um, as as this, this yeah, our, our Lee M, a stupid name, our Lee M. Mm. Emery yeah, is like in it. And then we then we move on to where they're actually in the war, aren't they? So they've had the <laughs> two days of training, and then we move into the war. Um, and it was it, it was a bit of an eye opener for me. You know, you got this war photographer and the journalists, and it's like they're not doing anything but the report in the war, and and it does open your eyes to to lots of different bits. They're not all soldiers, you know. They're going to go into the journalism side to get how good the boys are doing, to get that back home and, you know, a little bit of um, mm. propaganda, if you like, in a positive way. Um, and and it's another one of those films, sort of, it didn't... You, you get the war, you get the little bits of story, little bits of story within the whole film, and then you see how they end up at the end of it, and you know, it's it, it's more of a journey than a. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's a, in essence, it's an anti it's an anti war film, the same as obviously as Alien, oh, yeah. uh, Pass yeah. of Glory, uh, another Kirk Douglas one, nineteen uh, fifties about the First World War, and the um, the French the French troops basically just being well, that, that's Kubrick as well, isn't it? Um, just look just look at the list now. Mm-hmm. I've seen that yeah, one. Pass of Glory was, I think, one of me. Granddad's favourites. I don't think I've actually seen it from start to finish, um, but it's 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 right up there in terms of anti-war films. Um, that was quite controversial at the time. Um, and Full Metal Jacket kind of follows on from that, except he just chose Vietnam um, as the setting. Um, so you've got a lot of like you know the the first half of the film is also like the, the recruits being 
um, put through basic training, um, which is all about sort of conditioning you to act in a certain way to do a specific role. Um, and it's not necessarily done very nice, but you know, it's it's not a nice job. And then they get sent to Vietnam, and um, you know, obviously, as as Richard said, how they end up towards mm-hmm. the end of it. It's um, but it's not it's not supposed to be a film that's going to make you obviously sign up for the for the for the for the um, <laughs> less like you know you really you really yeah. into it obviously, but you know that come out in like the late eighties um. You know when they were making films like Top Gun, which was completely the the opposite sort of mm-hmm. um, depiction of what it's like actually in the the military force. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's 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 an interesting one to compare and contrast to. Yeah, uh, I love it. Alpha Metal um, Jacket. I like, what do you I do reckon? Like the first half better than the second half. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I like the character yeah. studies. In it's it. more interesting, um, isn't it? Uh, but I think it's an easier watch than Apocalypse now because of the humour. Uh, um, I think it's like it's easy, you know. It's you kind of, yeah, almost. I don't know. You, you sort of relate to it in a way because you know what you're saying about you can you recognise characters in the workplace, like even the, what's the red, the rubbish one that that, that kills. Well, I'll give us spoilers, <laughs> but um, you, you recognise him like in, in groups of like when you're doing PA and stuff like that. You know, you know everyone knows that sort of character. <laughs> yeah that was me <laughs> yeah I mean like you say that that first part of the film is just it's pretty much all character development isn't it so you're getting private joke uh, uh, and then they're getting their names um, Alec Baldwin Matthew Modine a lot of stars in it as well um, Edo Ross I don't know why I don't, I've never noticed him in it I think he's one of the ones that stays. He doesn't go into action. I can't remember, but I remember him from the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Um, It's the Russian. Oh, right. Which is the Russian film? Red Heat. Oh, right. He's the bad guy. Edo Roth. And you have Alice Howard in it as well as Private Cowboy. Uh, And you got all these names, uh, great names. uh, Crazy Earl as well. Um, I can't remember many others. But it's just pure characters. Get the, the just how they're developing, how you're getting to know them, who's nice, who's not nice, who'll turn. And and um, uh, at the end of the day, it's going back to that military is that they just bash bash them down till they feel like they're nothing, and then start building them back up. Um, so yeah, uh, one of my favourite, um, well, probably my favourite war mm. film, if you like. Um, I suppose having that sort of I haven't so, seen the second yeah. half. I've never seen the training bit for whatever reason. I don't know why. But the, I suppose if you didn't have that <laughs> extended bit where, like you say, the character building, you're getting to know them, you're getting to um, sort of relate to them, and then you see the horrors of war and what happens to them, it wouldn't be as impactful that second half if you didn't have that first half. If it was just a second mm. half, it's just another war film, isn't it? Whereas this, you can see the process of it because they are normal lads, normal people, yeah, yeah. and then they're getting horrifically thrown into a horrific situation. Yeah, that's, that's exactly Yeah, and you can see how, like, the, the, the nice, sensitive one, how he, you know, he, is he going to get totally ruined with the war or does he take over? Does he come into his own? Um, so, yeah, like you say, you need that. You really do need it. Um, 
Mm. I'm Any more to say on it, gents? Uh, only the fact that uh, it was it was filmed all on location in. in oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was Stanley, it? Stanley Kubrick didn't didn't like to fly, so we got the boat over. Um, so the barracks and training camps they're all British Army training areas. Um. So anyone who's been in the British Army will be able to obviously sort of recognise <laughs> the layouts because they're all the same of the uh, the sleeping blocks. Um, yeah, that's a British. That's all British Army training camps. And when the um, uh, shooting in Vietnam, that's actually the Docklands in London. Wow. Flew palm trees. Didn't know that. Um, so the Ho- Hawaii City is actually <laughs> um, London Docklands. I was going to suggest, is it, is it where all that Canary, canary Wharf or Canary Wharf it's or whatever? Area, yeah. Right. The magic of Hollywood, eh? Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see <laughs> it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Well, moving on, um, probably, well, next film I saw was um, his last film, which was, of course, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, another unusual film. It's basically set on one night. Um, and it's it's just investigating the other side that you don't see um, debauchery and sex and um, all sorts of things that are going on with with like the the wealthy elite that um, that's kept behind closed doors. It reminds me a little bit about um, I saw something about abandoned. And they used to have caves and tunnels where all sorts <laughs> would go on. Didn't half remind me of that, but that was a couple of centuries ago. Um, but yeah, another one is he considers it his best film, but it only got 7.4. Um, another long film at just over two hours. Uh, and and it, of course, has got oh, the wonderful Nicole Kidman Nicole. in it, which, you know, is absolutely amazing. But it's got her, you know, you know, she turned me down and she went with Tom Cruise instead. So I think they were married at the time. Um, probably one of those that's not, it's, it's not parodied whatsoever or it's not used or it's not copied. It's, it's like a standalone film, probably because of its very unusual nature. Um, very few films like it, maybe Secretary. Um, it's sort of like delving yeah. into the same market. No, I can't say that thing. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> easy for you to say. Yeah, um, spell that. Oh, right. right. Um, it, 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 of course, like I say, it's set over one night, and basically, um, it's just people investigating the the sexual and moral. You know, what do they want to do, and are they going to really do it? And and we've got a little bit of a death and murder, or a, is it a murder or a death? We don't really know. Um, lots of odd, strange things going on. And again, to me, it's a little bit like 2001 in that it's just, it, it's certainly a feast for the eyes, um, more ways than one, but it's it's just hypnotic for me, you know, just watching these things going on. And it's painful in a way as well. Yeah, long time, um, I don't know if we've all seen it. Uh, Carl, no, you have. Uh, Alan, have you seen it? It's like you're almost like eavesdropping on, like, marriage you know it seemed it feels so uncomfortable watching them and knowing that they were like coming up to a, like, <laughs> yeah. a break point in the in real life it's it just really uncomfortable i think mm. yeah that's a good point yeah that's a good point honestly uh, to be fair i've seen it a while ago and it definitely needs another rewatch. um i've actually uh, funnily enough i actually looked up on 
um, this film on Prime before um, I'd have to rent it, but I'm, I'm considering doing that to give it another rewatch. As um, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, and another one that's that's using music brilliantly as well. Um, probably got one of my favourite opening pieces in it of all time. Um, it's a Shostakovich. Uh, it's either a ballet suite or a jazz suite. But that first opening soundtrack, um, I, I love it. And thinking about it now, I mean, I, I said before, you know, so many films I'd like to go and watch now. I'd like to go and listen to that music now. But the music throughout the whole thing, uh, and again, we've talked about it in all the other films. We didn't talk about it in The Shining, of course, but the soundscape in The Shining and the, the, the absolutely doolally strings in The Shining make it rather than music as such. But but in this, it's it's music for the film, and it's it's sort of upper class. Um, it's uh, very lav- lavish music, if you like, um, playing throughout it. And we've got a little bit of Beethoven again. Um, yeah. Don't know if that's a nod towards Clockwork Orange, because obviously like, it was in that. Um, um, I mean, Fidelio by Beethoven's only opera. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right, right. So I know I know Kubrick has a lot of chess motifs through his films because that was another thing that that when I was saying you know he's a bit of a bit of a, a dropout at school but intelligent. One of the things that his family tried with him was chess, which he he got onto immediately. And chess is used throughout all his films. I mean, going back to Clockwork Orange, I'm sure there's a scene, isn't there, a scene where he's clubbing somebody familiar. or he's doing something with a large chess piece. Yes, he is. is it the uh, is he, he trying to, kill, to get it into somebody? Push it into somebody's downfall. I don't know. Because I don't, I don't think he gets yeah. done for the rape in it, does he? He gets done for I think so, yeah. yeah. A different woman, um, I think. With a horse. <laughs> with a, or with a chess piece, yeah. Like I think that sounds like familiar. Like mm. thing. Like yeah. This wobbly phallic mm. thing that he uses. Oh, yeah. it is, isn't it? It is because he pushes it and it rolls, doesn't it? <laughs> You're right. I'm sure. Interesting. <laughs> As you do. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's his last film, and I think uh, did he actually did, did he see it released? Did he see how good it was or how successful it was? I know he died just before. Um, no, no, he would have died just before it was released yeah, properly, wouldn't he? That actually, because um, while, he, while he, the critics might not have necessarily got it, um, I quite like it. Um, and to be honest, I think if it would have been interesting if Kubrick was still alive now, whether he'd have released it as a series, um, a standalone series, where you know each of the episodes is like you know an hour long over the course of an actual day. Um because I know you, that was the, one of the first things you mentioned about it, Richard, the fact that all the events do take place over one day. Um, it, they're probably not absolutely perfect as, as, in a, yeah. as a series, really, uh, rather than a film, and maybe it would have had mm. more critical reception. Had he started working on AI, yeah. I thought the, the story was he, he started AI and then Spielberg took over. I thought that, that was... Yeah. I think yeah, I think he did. He did. But just just to finish on as well, I should. I I'm not a fan of it. I, I I watched it when I was younger, obviously, and yeah, it didn't 
didn't didn't gel with it at all. Thought it was boring. Didn't think it was very entertaining. Um, so it was one of them where I sort of give it a go and then dropped off and never bothered with it again. So I'm not a fan of it. But again, it's like a lot of these films. If we give it another go, then um, you know, might might feel different these days and actually see it for the artistic nature of it. I think also uh, Alan's touched on the human side as well. It's about a, a man and a woman's marriage. Um, and obviously Tom Cruise's, uh, I forget what the character's name is in it, obviously is. Because um, isn't, isn't, isn't he something jealous of something with his wife? Mm. That's the premise of it or something. And it is sort of journey of, you know, all that happens without spoiling anything for it. Yeah. Over the kind of too much I, I think that, it's yeah. Tom Cruise's best performance. I think, you know, he plays on. The, like is like hero set. It's just like like vulnerable that vulnerability that you don't see in any of those other performances. Best one. Oh, yeah, I like that. To be fair, it is up there. Like I do like Vanilla Sky as well. Um, but that was that followed heavily on obviously the. Um, was it requ- uh, no, requiem for the dream or something? Across, um, if my Spanish was better. No, no. Ah, well, of course. Yeah, there we go, Alan. Well done. Yeah, and no, um, is, um, yeah, Penelope Cruz. Uh, isn't Cruz in both of them? Penelope, Penelope Cruz, I think. <laughs> the other Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's in, she's in both of them. Um, mm, yeah, me too. Like, uh, to be fair, I think Tom Cruise's best performance was born on the 4th of July. Have you seen that That's one? the one with Jack Nicholson, isn't it? I can't remember who's in it, but I remember him. He's he's, he's a he's a um, Vietnam veteran, basically. Uh, I think he's in a wheelchair. Um, yeah, I, I remember being blown away by that film again. Which one of them? I have to go back and watch, but I loved it when I first seen it. He's, he's a little bit like Spielberg in a sense that like he's not always consistent. Is, is really he Tom Cruise? You don't you know? He has done a few duds, I feel. Oh, we've done loads of them. I mean, the Mission Impossible films were absolutely um, were absolutely atrocious. But um, obviously, you've got the likes of um, obviously Born on the Fourth of July. You've got a few oh, of them, which was the one with Jack Nicholson, um, and that's um, that's very similar, uh, very similar premise really, because that's the sort of anti-military film about um, you know the fact that in you know in the military you know some recruits just can't handle it and they're victimised by the peer group as a result that's the whole premise of the film and it turns into a cool mm. drama um, and it's a sort of moral question about whether you agree with Jack Nicholson or whether you agree with um, obviously Tom Cruise and Demi Moore's sort of um, going after the, the it's, it's the Marines again in that film um, so it, put, it poses that sort of question. Personally, I like um, Tom Cruise's um, sci-fi's. I I really like Oblivion. I think yeah. To, uh, Edge of Tomorrow was brilliant. Um, personally, I I like Japan. So, oh yeah, um, that's a good Summer one. I was amazing. Um, that's just that's just an absolutely um, fantastic. You didn't mention the minor- Minority mm. Report and um, oh, Spielberg one. He's a good one. It is. It's no, a, that's another Philip K. Dick story, though. That's yeah, it's a like semi sort of sequel, it also. Yeah. Pseudo sequel to it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's good, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another film that deserves another watch, really. Um, I, I think a lot of people just didn't get it. Um, 
for us. It's a shame, actually, because everything I remember about the film it was visually brilliant. Yeah, it was. Right, let's go. Um, obviously, me, me and Carl are uh, big 2000 AD fans as well, so it sort of touched into the whole psychic division of pre um, preempting crime as well, um, which we've been familiar with with the comics, like, but it was probably an unfamiliar premise. For yeah, you're sort of your regular guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned AI when we did the Spielberg one, and um, I just like how, I mean, I think it throws some people off, but I think, you know, when Spielberg gets like criticised for his sentiment, sentimentality, he's a bit sappy. Um, but I like how that's like it's got like the Kubrick at the start, I feel, and then it does go into like a Spielberg film later on. But I, yeah. I really like it for that because it's kind of like with two directors in, in one film. But he was working on it for like two decades, wasn't he, before it started? Yeah. Because I think what the, he did, the special effects he wanted didn't exist at that time. Well, I'm just on Wikipedia, and it says here that Kubrick approached Spielberg in 1995 with the AI script, with the possibility mm. of Spielberg directing it and Kubrick producing it. So obviously, when he's passed away, um, Spielberg's got all the the notes and the sort of you know pre-production and what have you, and that's, mm. so that's the film he's made. So yeah, it is probably a combination of the the two directors in one film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, but like, like today, I'm sure I remember reading he'd been he'd been working on it for like 20 years working on trying to get the story going for it. Yeah, but it came on 2001, I think. What's, yeah, what, yeah. What do you guys think of it? Because I love it. I think it's great. I think it's really underrated. I've not seen it enough. I saw it a long time ago. You could almost yeah. class it as one of his films, couldn't you? Mm, I mean, I liked it. It's, it's, it's like a lot of these films. It's a bit long and it, it did have a sentimentality to it, but it works and I liked it. As you yeah. said, the last scene, I love the last scene. It's like one of those things, like, I always ask people if you could uh, relive, like, what moment would you go and do, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you did pass away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's, a good, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that as well. <laughs> Thank you, It is. So, any more, Richard? Um, yeah, the, the one that I um, probably my favourite. Actually, this, it's difficult because I've got The Shining as my favourite. But mm. uh, another oddball one, just showing how diverse he is a director. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many directors are doing. What, what have we got? We've got science fiction. We've got a violent thing. We've got a psychological thriller. We've got a war film. But then we've got a comedy with uh, Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Um, <laughs> <What a> title. <laughs> But that was the, the last film of his that I saw. So I only watched it recently. So sort of like, well, recent for me is like within the last 10 years. And um, I never knew it was one of his films. Um, but back in 1964, it was still a little bit, you know, we're, we're well into Cold War era there. We're well into the, the uh, Russians and the Americans. Um, but how funny it is and satirical it is, um, like really proper laugh out loud funny or lolling as I believe it's called uh, <laughs> laugh out loud you, you know Peter uh, Peter Sellers just steals it really for me um, but then you've also got George C. Scott's character who just wants to you know kill them all before they get to us type of thing um, and I, I believe that the the actual topic in the film could have happened and they had to put in measures 
that's what measures him because what was discussed in the film, the fact that you could have one airbase colonel just go do lally and tell everybody to bomb Russia. Um, what actually happened, they, they had to change all their policies so, so it wouldn't happen in future, um, which is a little bit funny. Um, but when they're going... When they're going through their the, the plan R, which is basically a full strike on the Russians, and all the procedures that they've got in place that the president has okayed, and the president keeps saying, well, can't, can't we do this? Can't we communicate with the, 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 uh, the airplanes? And he says, well, sir, if you can remember, you agreed to the fact that if we go to plan R, they're going to shut their radio off, basically, so they're not going to have any communication in case the Russians got to us and they sent out false communication and all these things that they had in place to make sure it was, you know, it, it would never be um, a problem for the, the Russians taking over. Um, they couldn't stop it from happening and the inevitable happens. And, and again, we've had it parodied in uh, The Simpsons, haven't we, where he's riding on the bomb? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, but what, what a funny film. Absolutely hilarious. The bit where Peter Sellers is... Doctor Strange love, and uh, and of course he's he's come from his German background, and he came over to America, and he got his citizenship, and, and he he keeps he's got his arm, which is known as Doctor Doctor Strange love syndrome. It is actually a, a true thing where your your hand gets detached from the brain with the the the, um, the nerves, and it does its own thing, and he keeps going to do. Uh, you know, he keeps going to do your what you call it that the Nazis used to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, he keeps going to do that, and he's trying to have a cigarette, and he's smoking, uh, and his arms shaking around. And uh, when he tries to get the the, um, you know, he's asking, well, how long are we going to have to be stuck in these bunkers for? And he's trying to read off this little dial that tells him what the half-life of the, the radioactive substance is. And like what, he's got it in one hand and the other hand's trying to pull it off him. And again, that's been, <laughs> been so many things uh, where one part of the body's, you know, you've got your daft horror films where somebody's hand's been substituted by a murderer's hand or something like that. Um, but really, you got, you got to go back and look at it as a comedy, and it is absolutely hilarious. Very funny indeed. Mm. Have we all seen it? Yeah, uh, I think I've, I think so, but I can't remember um, watching it from start to finish. I've seen all the famous scenes from it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember watching it from start to finish though. What I find funny about it was just the obs- like I say, the absurdity of it all. Like you know, all those procedures, and you know. These 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 men uh, have got millions and millions of lives in their hands, and they're just bumbling idiots. They just haven't got a clue what's going on, and they can't you know yeah. they can't make decisions, or you know just arguing amongst themselves. And they're just yeah, it's just ridiculous. But it it could be real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Terrifying thing, yeah. The best bits where he's on the phone to the um, the Soviet premier, and he's trying to explain to him the the president's trying to explain to him what what's happened, and he's you know uh, like one of our one of our 
commanders has done sort of like, he's gone a little bit funny in the head and he's, he's ordered his planes to attack your cup. Well, let me finish, Dimitri, let me finish. And that, that scene's absolutely classic because you can imagine Dimitri at the other end of the phone line going absolutely off his head. Yeah. And this president saying, you know, well, oh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I can hear you fine. You're coming through plain and fine. I'm coming through plain and good, good. So how are your children? Well, can we talk? And that is just an absolutely fantastic scene. And, and like I say, I think Peter Sellers, it says on uh, on our go-to website, it says Peter Sellers um, pretty pretty much ad-libbed most of his lines. Wow. Really? And that, that's fantastic, that scene. It's so funny. Mm. Do we remember any others in it? Any other standout bits? I No, just what you've said before. Just the, uh, uh, the bomb, bomb watch- scene. The bomb, the bomb scene, yeah. um, and again we're, we're going back to Kubrick's detail because I think the the B fifty two bombers that were used in it they were like pretty cutting edge back then, and the inside of the cockpit was you, you know that was like a, a top secret all those plans, and uh, somehow they managed to get to get it to look pretty much identical, and I think some of the pilots have said yeah you've got it absolutely nailed there. Wow. Um, Kubrick was a little bit worried that they were going to get investigated by the FBI or CIA or somebody because it was so spot on and so accurate. Um, But go back and watch it. And there's, there's loads and loads of little bits in it. Like um, I can't remember the logo for the air force bases, something like pieces are, uh, what was it? Pieces are profession, something like that. And they've got like loads of bombs all over the place. As, yeah, pieces are profession on the signs, uh, and that's the Air Force base where all the nuclear bombs are kept. Um, but also, going back 1964, watching that, it, it mustn't have been very funny. It must have been quite worrying, I suppose, because it, that was what was happening. You know, they were, they were something like two hours away from their main targets, and if they got the go-ahead, that was it. It was like we strike. Well, not we, but America will have a go at Russia, and Russia will have a go at us. Yeah. So, this day must have been must have been a, a bit frightening. But looking back now, funny. Yeah. Because it was around the time. Was that around the, the Cuban crisis and all those things? Was that that time or? Was that- Me. <laughs> Leo, tell us. Right, Doctor Strange. Love was what year? Sorry. Sixty four. Uh, sixty four. Yes, sixty four. So you're talking uh, within a couple of years of the Bay of Pigs. Mm. So before it before it all kicked off, uh, just about yeah. just about the same time. Uh, Bay of Pigs um, was nineteen sixty one. So you talk about like three years after okay, that. Well. Um, so obviously, for anyone that watched The Irishman, um, that was set around the same time. Mm. Um, and just oh, after so yeah. you're talking the the sixties, obviously. Um, and you know that that obviously deals with uh, uh, the Bay of Pigs from nineteen sixty four. Yeah, three years afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, so so it would have been very, like very prevalent in people's minds watching that, thinking, you know, they're making light of this big serious thing. And so I suppose you could compare it to people now making a comedy film about the coronavirus. Maybe I don't know. Well, you know, you talk. Mm. I know the first film would be out within a year. Yeah. 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 Well, some people were saying that Contagion was... I, I can't remember. Didn't somebody give us feedback saying that Contagion, the film Contagion, was based on what is now happening? I know that sounds 
ridiculous time travel and all <laughs> of that. But I'm sure Carl, you'll have to get back your your notes yeah, or your feedback. But I think I think it was just um, like sure. because it was it was a plausible outcome contagion, isn't it? It's it's a plausible. This is what could happen, and it seems to be what is happening. You know, mm. so. Yeah, yeah, um, but I, I suppose it's one of one of the films where it's just a straight through from start to end film. It's not split in bits like most of his other films. Um, I suppose Shining's not split in bits, is it? Really, it's just mm. one continuous film. Um, and again, uh, Doctor Strange Love, one long film, no, 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 no sections to it. Um, very funny, very funny, but. But, yeah, if you've not seen it, don't dismiss it just because it's in black and white and it's from 1964. It's only an hour and a half long. Um, but like what I said before, it's uh, 8.4 on IMDb. So mm. uh, top film, so, absolutely top film. I think you're doing our listeners a disservice there, Richard. I don't think any of our listeners would be put off by a film in black and white. <laughs> Do you not? <laughs> I think most bit. of our listeners are well-educated movie buffs and would never, ever, would never, ever be put off are by they? a black and white film. <laughs> I'm just going off what, what my youngest says he says oh we're going to watch your film it's in black and white now it'll be rubbish there we go don't know why I didn't do it in colour 64 they would have been in colour back then wouldn't they yeah it makes yeah. it but there yeah. we go that's no, sorry, my sorry. round if, if it's been black, black, black and white it makes you think it must have been a personal choice as you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even he was still using colours within the the film because I believe the um, when they're in the the war room, the the table he had a green felt on the table to sort of like replicate a poker a, a poker game, but with the world uh, oh, as you know the gamble yeah. in the world. Um, won't see that. Won't see that. But it just to give mm. the, that that impression. Um, but such a different film to all his others. Now, the one I've not seen of his recent ones, and I know uh, you've seen it, Al, is, I think you have anyway, is Barry Lyndon, which again scores massively on IMDb. That's one I haven't seen. Oh, you haven't seen it? Sorry. Right. Well, I mean, it's another, another long one. It's three hours long, 8.1 IMDb. Um, it just doesn't look like the type of thing that I'd watch. An Irish rogue wins the heart of a rich widow and assumes her dead husband's aristocratic position in 18th century England. Doesn't seem my cup of tea, but, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. Has anybody seen it? No, never heard of it until tonight. <laughs> Barry Lyndon, I think it's his fourth to last mm. one or something like that. So it was just after, it would have been after Clockwork Orange and before The Shining. Um, so when when he was like, you know, a, a well-renowned film film director, um, he brought that out. Uh, maybe it's one we could all go watch, seeing as none of us have watched it and report back to our, yeah, to our group. I think that's, that's our homework, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is it is an epic, it's on for three hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's meant to be very lavish. It's I mean, I, I suppose Downton Abbey type of you know, Victor not Victorian, what was mm. it, Georgian, something like that. It's supposed to be it's, it's, it's um, yeah, I have to Yeah, definitely. Well, you have to give it a go. So any more to say about it, Rich? 
Um, not really, no. No. Um, I'd like to go back and watch some of his older films. There's a couple of controversial ones in there as well. I think uh, Lolita's quite a controversial one. Um, and obviously, I need to watch Spartacus. And going back to Paths of Glory, that, did you mention that, Lee? Paths of Glory. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, it's something, uh, he's not done many. He's only done 16 films and three of them were documentaries. So not not a lot, but wow, when he when he did a film, I think that that was why Eyes Wide Shut was so big, is that mm. when he did films, they were good. He, he's not had any well, It seems fun, to be a recurring theme films. that the directors were doing, isn't it? They, they, they don't do many films. They're not like churning them out every year. Like They've got big chunks of yeah. time yeah. between them because they spend so much time you know, on them, perfecting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Spielberg. <laughs> what did you say? Sixty-seven films. And he does one about every two years, still, doesn't he? God. And then he's also producing as well as if, directing. If you talk about like the seventies, from like the seventies mm-hmm. to the nineties, I mean, even early two thousands, he was impeccable. But then start mid two thousands is when it starts to get a bit dodgy. I think for Spielberg. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Actually, you remember we chose favourite films. I'm going to go back to um, going back to the Spielberg one. I'd like to change my favourite Spielberg film as a director um, because I think it's going to be um, Schindler's List because the way it is actually directed. Because I think I said uh, any of the Indiana Jones, but I think anybody could have directed the Indiana Jones and they still would have been amazing. Because I think it's more the actors yeah. and the story that pulled that off. But what makes a good director? Yeah, I, I think the way that Schindler's List was directed was incredible. And that was chosen, that, that was in black yeah. and white, wasn't it? He was chose, chose to do that. Apart from the red bit, the That's bits right, in yeah. red, wasn't yeah. there, that tracked yeah. the story? Looking forward to what, not, I'd say looking forward to watching it, but you know we are going to watch it soon, aren't we? It's going to be a tough watch. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Super, so... Any more, yeah? Anyone else? Any more? Happy days. So, Richard, have you got no. a, a fact or fiction for us? Act or fiction! Right, going back to, um, what was it? Uh, Doctor Strange, love. Peter Sellers basically... The charge for the film was a quarter of the budget of the film. A quarter. So the whole budget of the film, Peter Sellers took a quarter of it. Wow. I'm going to say fat. A quarter. A quarter. Yeah. It, that's that's a lot. I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to go fact. Oh really? Go on. How much? Unfortunately, it's fiction. Fifty-five <laughs> percent. It was. That's why I thought it was a good fact or fiction. He, he took 50 of the film's budget. Yeah, he's doing two parts. He did play two characters. Kubrick said paid, paid for three and I <laughs> yeah. got six or something like that. But, uh, yeah, that uh, that shocked me. But he did, I think he pulled that film off. And then George C. Scott behind him as well. Yeah. Really, really great well, Fair play. Yeah, that was a good one, that. Yeah. Because a quarter seemed like a lot anyway, but then you have to think about it. He's doing three parts, isn't he? 
That's what I was thinking, you see. Well, I was, I was good, saying, just, like throw a bit of a curveball to you. <laughs> good stuff. So <laughs> should, we, uh, should we say which one's our favourites? Go on. Oh, yeah, go on then. I, I think it's... For me, for me, it's mm. it's got to be The Shining um, again. I think the best oh. film he's done is Spartacus, but I love A, Clock- a Clockwork Orange is my favourite. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna go Clockwork Orange as well. A yeah. little bit. It's the one I always go back to. Lee, what about I'm I'm torn I'm torn, but right. I can always spark because purely for the uh, just purely for the how, how great yeah. it was. I've it's got to watch because then I really have, haven't I? It's um and when you consider, obviously, the time it come out, the civil rights movement was uh, well underway as well, and it was uh, it was a film of the time. I mean, to be honest, it's 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 still an amazing right. story. It's a it's a rebellion of you know the downtrodden, yeah. and it's, um, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, I would second that. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, right so are right. we all finished, lads? Yeah. Go on. Uh, one, okay, we'll come back to the post, but we'll just say yeah. Thanks everyone for listening, Quote. and uh, obviously get in contact on the socials if you want to want to speak to us or give us any comments or you know any um, suggestions what we want want us to do next. And also, what Harry has mentioned to us recently is if you can click and subscribe on any podcast you know um, outlet you've got like iTunes or whatever because it, it gets us up that list of suggestions. So any you know even if you don't listen to us very often. Just subscribe, and it might give us a bit of a boost. You never know. Brilliant. So, yeah, so thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, Richard's going to finish off with a quote. Off you go, Richard. Just a lovely one-liner from Dr. Strange, Love a Girl, again. Um, And it's simply this. Gentlemen, (laughs) you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Thanks, everyone. See you now. (laughs) Bye-bye.